0: They they get a lot of time in the media, and I think it's undeserved. And and unfortunately, Jesus gets no time in the media. But we're not not at ABC News this morning. We're at Tabernacle Baptist Church. (laughs) So we're going to give him some attention here this morning. And the two go together today. There, There really is no way to separate where I am today and Titus, apart from Jesus Christ. If you look there in Titus chapter 2, we stopped at verse 12. And beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself the peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. So Jesus Christ is right here in the center of of the text that we have this morning. And when you look at the Bible, all the books of the Bible, all the books of the Bible, they all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is this. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, as Moses lifted that serpent in the wilderness, he said, I'm going to draw all men unto me. You say, well, what did that mean? That means back over Numbers. I believe it's chapter 21, maybe 23, where those people that were bitten by those serpents and began to die that God so told Moses, you go and you take and you put a brazen serpent on a pole and you hold that pole up and all those folks that look at that, if they'll look there, they'll live. You say, well, what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, we sing a song, look and live, my brother live, look to Jesus now and live, Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago was lifted up on Calvary's tree. By the way, he's not there anymore. He was taken off that cross, and he was put into a tomb, and he got up on the third day. So there is no such thing as Christ hanging on a cross anymore. He did that one time, and he finished the job. But that story in numbers points to Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, it's really unusual. The, The medical industry chose as one of their identifying tokens and symbols was a serpent on a pole. You say, where'd they get that from? They got it from the Bible. And Jesus Christ, without, without him, there is no salvation, but these two are tied together throughout Scripture. If you find the Bible, you look in the Bible, you're going to find Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to preach the first part of verse 13 looking for that blessed hope, that's the rapture of the church, into the clouds to meet Jesus and the glorious appearing. I believe that's the revelation of Christ, the coming to the earth and Jesus says, King of kings. But the, then the next phrase says, The great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's going to be where I'm going to preach this morning. Would you pray with me before I do that? Lord, we do thank you for the privilege to be here today. Thank you for the Bible we have. And Lord, we thank you that we can personally know Jesus Christ is our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for not being a God that's not accessible or someone that's out of reach or somebody that's so high that they're not willing to reach down to those of of low estate. And God, thank you so much for reaching down to the lowest of us and pulling us out of a pit and pulling us out of a mire and putting our feet on a rock, Lord, put a song in our mouth and giving us a salvation that no man can take away. Thank you for that, Lord. Help us to magnify you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now... The phrase there is very clear if you look at it, the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You can't really separate the great God from the phrase our Savior Jesus Christ. I want to say more about that in just a moment, but I do think it it is worth noting the great God. It does not say a great God. It says the great God. In, In recent years, I've heard the term goat, you know, the greatest of all times. I never heard that growing up. And really, to be honest about it, I don't know that it's a very endearing term to call someone a goat, to be honest about it. But society has taken that. And what that means is you're the greatest of all time. And and here's what happens. Somebody's the greatest of all time until somebody new comes along and takes and trumps the greatest of all time. And now you have a new greatest of all time. What I'd like you and I to note this morning, we don't have a great God, we have the great God. That there is not another great God that is going to ever supersede or, or, or supplant Jesus Christ. He is the great God. You say, what's so great about your God? Well, my God's great in works. What he does, he does, and they are great in scope. The Bible's very clear. God created the heaven and the earth. Everything you look at around you in the universe and on this planet, from the depths of the sea to the tops of the mountains, that didn't happen by a process of time and evolution. Our great God made all of that. He's great in his works. He's great in power. He was able to make all of that by just speaking it. In other words, he didn't need some kind of material or some kind of machinery. All he did was say, let there be light, and the lights came on. That's power. Wouldn't you like? Well, I know we can do that with Alexa. Alexa just doesn't pay the bill, though. Amen. He's great in power. He's great in works. He's also great in love. You know, the Bible says that God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved that which was unlovely. If you're here this morning and you're saved and you're glad of it, aren't you glad that Jesus Christ loves you right now? Prove that at Calvary. But if you're here this morning, you've never been saved and you have no relationship with Christ. Maybe you've taken his name in vain. Maybe you never read his Bible. Maybe you've never really spent very much time in doing anything to help the church. I'm just going to tell you this. If you're here this morning, Jesus Christ loves you just as well. That's a great love. We love those that love us, we're good to those that are good to us. I'm telling you right now, Jesus Christ loved the whole world. God's great in his love, he's also great in his grace. I'll slowly say that again. Our God is great in grace. And if it were not for grace, you wouldn't be here today. We're saved by grace, but what I mean by grace is grace is when you get the unmerited favor of God. God just is good to you. And he's good to you not because you earned it. If you earned it, it wouldn't be grace. It would be works. God's just good because he's a good God. And the things that he's put in your life, he is of great grace. And the great story of Mephibosheth so illustrates that, and I know you know that very well, but here's a man laying on his feet that doesn't have anything to offer, and David, David decides, I'm going to bring him to my home, and to my palace. He's going to sit with my children, and I'm going to take care of all of his needs. I'm just glad to say this morning, I'm glad God doesn't treat you based on what you used to be. I'm glad that he has grace for you because he's a good God, and he can make you what you never would have been in the first place. God's also great in mercy. Well, there's bound to be somebody here today, if it weren't for the mercy of God, you'd just be a story. Amen. You'd be something that made the paper. There'd be people in the community that talked about what happened to you in your life. But I'm t- <laughs> But I'm telling you, the Bible says that God is great in mercy. That is not getting what you deserve. In other words, judgment should have fallen and and really justice should have taken place. and, And God, if he would have dealt with you after the manner of your sins, what you had done, if he dealt with you after that manner, then it would have been unbearable. But we have a God that's not just great in grace. He's also great in mercy. Amen. The great God. But if you'll notice, it says the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's personal. And I want you to understand that when the Bible says The great God, there's only one. One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, and there's only one God, one Lord, not many. So the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, that's the same individual. In fact, if you look at chapter 3, chapter 3, if you look at verse 4, but after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. So it speaks about the love of God, our Savior. Then look at verse number six, which he shed abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior. You say, do we have two saviors? Nope, we only have one. We only have one. You say, well, why do you have God, our Savior, and Jesus, our Savior? Because there's only one God. Jesus and God are exactly the same. One and the same. And that's really the source of my message today. I want to preach that before I finish in verse 14. I know that this church believes and has been taught correctly from the Bible that Jesus Christ, not was God, is God. In other words, that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ did not become God. Jesus always has been and always will be God. That Jesus Christ was not just credited by men as being God, but that the Bible affirms and very plainly declares that Jesus Christ is the eternal God. You say, well, everybody believes that. No, everybody doesn't believe that. You know, there are people that will, used to come by your door and knock on your door, and they'd tell you that Jesus Christ, that he wasn't God, Uh, There are people that, like the Mormons that believe that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers, and they believe that Jesus is a, a God in the making, that what man used to be, he became, and what God is, man will one day become. We don't believe the Bible teaches that at all. We believe that Jesus Christ has been God from eternity past to eternity future. Then there are people like the Jehovah's Witness. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. They don't want you to pray in his name. They believe they're distinct. They're separate. There are other people that believe that same idea. They had the idea that, yes, Jesus existed, but Jesus is independent, separate from God, that they're two different people altogether. And all I would say is this. The Bible is very clear. The Bible says that three are one, that you have the Father, and you have the Son, and the Holy Ghost, that these three are one, and they are one in their deity. They are not distinct from each other in their deity, just in the person of what they are. Myself, this morning, if you're looking at me, I I have four children, so I'm a father. My dad is in heaven, so I'm a son. My wife is here this morning, so I'm also a husband, but I'm not three separate individuals. I'm one individual with three different relationships to other people. And all I'm saying is that we don't believe that he was a created God or that he's separate from God. We believe that Jesus Christ is God. Amen. There are two billion people on this planet that claim Allah is their God. They don't believe that Jesus Christ was God. They just say he's a prophet. He's just a great man. And and I'd like to tell you this. Jesus was a prophet. and Jesus was a great man. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ was also God. He was God. The Buddhists don't recognize Jesus as God. There are a billion of those people on the planet. The Hindus, they don't recognize Jesus as God only. They have many gods, thousands of gods, And they'll just take Jesus and put him right in there with somebody. I remember being on the island of Trinidad and I went into this Hindu temple and as I was looking around, all these different gods, Shiva, Vishnu, all these different things that were kind of, it almost looked like pieced together. And I said, listen, Jesus Christ is God. And he said, I believe that. I said, well, what about all these? He said, Jesus is God and Buddha is God and Shiva is God and Diwali is God. I said, oh, no, no, no. The Bible is very clear there's only one God. Amen. He's just willing to put them all together. So what I'm telling you is the Bible right here in Titus 2 in verse number 13 gives a statement, a declaration that is found throughout the Scripture. And I want to run that today, this morning, that Jesus Christ is God. And that being said, he is the great God and our Savior. So if you're taking, put a mark in Titus chapter 2, we'll be back there, but go with me over to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, the most oft-quoted Old Testament book, the book of Isaiah, and go if you would to chapter 7, chapter 7. The book of Isaiah probably written at least 2,500 years ago. That's a long time ago. And here's what the Bible says, Isaiah 7 in speaking about Jesus Christ and God and Jesus being one and the same, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, Isaiah 7, verse number 14. Now we begin reading this, your mind immediately is going to go to Christmas time, and you're right, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign Behold, a virgin shall conceive, which is impossible, but God made it possible, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. When you find that same thing repeated in Matthew chapter 1, Emmanuel is interpreted, which means God with us. So Isaiah 7 says, a virgin conceived and bore a son, and that son was Emmanuel, God with us. Now look at chapter 9. Check Chapter 9. Chapter 9, and if you look at verse number 6 a further explanation about a child being born that is God in the flesh. Verse 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So his humanity, the child, a son is given, his deity, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, And his name shall be called Wonderful. And I say amen to that. Counselor, amen to that. But look at this next phrase, the mighty God. Not a mighty God, that this child that is born, this son that is given was not a God. He was the mighty God. The mighty God. Now that was written 2,500 years ago. And the statement was, one day a virgin would conceive, bring forth a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which is God with us, and he would be the mighty God. You say, when did that take place? That took place when Mary brought Jesus into this world because he is God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Look at it with me again. Get two other places. Get John chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. John 1 and 1 Timothy 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Timothy. You'll find that right there after you pass all those small epistles Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. John 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And by the way, before I say another thing about that, you know, there are people that take issue with what I just said. They said a virgin didn't conceive because that, that's not possible. With men, that's not possible. With God, all things are possible. Those same people take an issue with the fact that Jesus walked on water. They take an issue with the fact that Jesus called a man that had been dead four days in the tomb and and brought him back to life. They take issue with the fact that Jonah was swallowed by a whale three days later that he came out. Those people take issue with the God that's a miracle-working God. I'm telling you right now, I just believe the Bible more than I believe the opinions of men. And the Bible clearly declares Emmanuel, God with us. Now, if you look there, John chapter 1, or 1 Timothy chapter number 3, look at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, can you say it for me? The Word was God. Who is that? Well, John 1, look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When the Bible says the Word was God, it's speaking of Jesus Christ. You can find another cross-reference to that in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. So what the Bible is telling you is that the Word was God. Now, there are versions of the Bible that say that's a mistranslation, that it should say the Word was a God. Well, I don't believe the translations are correct at all. In fact, I believe the Bible I have in front of me, the Word was God. That's what I believe. And the reason I believe that is because it's supported in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you look there. 1 Timothy chapter 3, this young man is being instructed in doctrine and how to go and, have, and, and war according to the doctrines that have been given to him. And in verse number 16, without controversy, in other words, there's no debate, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. In other words, God became flesh. The Word was made flesh. Jesus Christ is the eternal Word, the eternal God, and one day he became flesh. He took on the form of a man. He walked 33 years on this earth after being made a man and went to the cross of Calvary and died. But when he hung on that cross... It wasn't just a man. Are you listening to me? It was God manifest in the flesh hanging there. It was God that was there. That was God. That's what the Bible declares. That's not Baptist theology, though it is Baptist theology. The only reason it's Baptist theology is because we get our theology from the Bible. We believe what the Bible says, that Jesus, that he was manifest in the flesh as God, that the Word became flesh. And so I take, I take issue with folks that try to take and say, well, you know, that's really not exactly true. We found other spurious books that say that really what happened there was that Jesus was the offspring, and whether it's a German soldier or whoever else it may be, they just, they just make that to be someone apart from who he really is. But I'm telling you this morning, according to the Bible, according to the Bible, the Word was made flesh. According to the Bible, God was manifest in the flesh. And if men have a controversy, they have a controversy with God because he's the one that declared that. So Jesus and God, the same. There are people that say, no, you know, that, that, that's not right. There's, there's a, an idea, Unitarianism, that God and Jesus are distinct from one another. They're not the same, and they're separate. But, you know, Jesus Christ himself said, I and my Father are one. That's what he said. In fact, Philip said, show us the Father. He's talking with Jesus, and he says, okay, Show us the Father and it sufficeth. If you show us the Father, we'll be happy. And Jesus looked at him he said, Philip, how long have you been with me? And have you not known? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. Hey, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen him because the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. And that is something the Bible again declares. That is not Baptist theology. That is Bible theology. Jesus Christ. God manifest in the flesh. We'll get two other passages. Get John 20 and Acts 20. John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 20. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. To our guests that are here this morning, the reason I'm having you turn to several scriptures, and I'm so glad that you have a Bible with you, is because, really, to me, it's more important what the Bible says than what somebody else has to say. Um, There are a lot of churches, you go into those churches, and there's really not much Bible preaching at all. They just, they take a topic or a subject or an idea, and and then they begin to preach about that. And there's a lot of people that like to hear that. But uh, we just believe that the safest thing that you can do is to take and preach the Word of God. And that's why we look in our Bible. So John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 20. John 20 and Acts 20. In John chapter 20, you have a confrontation that Jesus has with his disciples, and he comes inside the place where they are. This is after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection. And Jesus appears to his disciples, but one of them named Thomas is missing. Because of that, he's called doubting Thomas, because when the disciples tell him, Thomas, we saw Jesus today. He said, I'm I'm just not going to believe that in verse 25. But he saith unto them, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand to his side, I will not believe. He said, guys, you can say he rose again. I'm not going to believe it until I can actually take and touch the nail prints that were there, until I can take my hand and put it where that spear went into his side. I'm not going to believe it. I don't believe you. Well, the Bible says in verse 26, and after eight days again, his disciples within, and Thomas with them, then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. By the way, if you don't know Jesus, Jesus has a peace that he can give you that the world cannot give. He stepped in there and he said, hey, peace be unto you. Look at the next one. Next verse, verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. Jesus is standing in front of him. Here's what he says. Thomas, go ahead. There's the scar right there. Go ahead. You can thrust your hand into my side. And look what Thomas says, verse number 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, and can you say it for me? You know, Thomas knew who Jesus was, lived with him for three and a half years. Thomas saw him crucified, he saw him die. So he knew, he knew the end was a certainty. He died on that cross and now you guys are telling me he rose again. I'm not going to believe it until I can actually physically put my finger there. And so when Jesus shows up, he says, Thomas, you go right ahead. And when he saw those scars there, he didn't have to put his hand there. He just said, my Lord and my God. And that's by somebody that knew him. Now look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The Bible speaking about that same time of crucifixion. Look what the Bible says, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. In other words, when Thomas said, my Lord and my God, and he'd saw Jesus, his friend, his mentor, his teacher, his might. hang there on the cross, and then he saw him buried, the blood that coursed from Jesus' hands and ran down his head from those crown of thorns, the blood that ran from his feet and down his side and the stripes on his back. All of that, the Bible says here in Acts 20 that when Thomas saw Jesus die, that that blood that was shed was not man's blood. Are you listening to me? It wasn't man's blood. That was God's blood. You say, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because you and I, we're all sinners. There's not one of us that hadn't sinned. All of us have imperfect blood. We've been tainted. We we, We have an imperfect nature. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ didn't have man's blood. Jesus Christ had the blood of God in his name. No sin, no spot in that. And the Bible says it was God's blood, not man's blood. So when we sing songs around here about when I see the blood, we're not talking about a human being. We're talking about the God of Heaven that shed His own, His only blood for us. Now, look at two other places, and then we'll go back to Titus. Get if you would First John chapter five. You know, I think that's get First John five, and then we'll go to Titus. I think I'm going to move past my last one there. There are so many others in the Bible. But this is one that I want you to see, 1 John chapter 5. That's almost to the end of your Bible. If you get the book of Revelation and you walk backwards, you'll come back through Jude and then 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and a verse I want to read before I get the one I want to, to comment on in verse number 10, he that believeth on the Son of God hath this witness in himself, and he that believeth not the Son of God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God hath given of His Son, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Look at verse number twenty. And we know that the Son of God has come. That's Jesus. And hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. That's a living Savior. And we are in him that is true, even in his son Jesus Christ. Now I want you to look at the next phrase. This is the true God and eternal life. No mistaking who's being spoken of here. Jesus Christ is being addressed in the chapter and the Bible says the Son of God has come and that that this same Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the true God in eternal life. I remember being at the door one day of a a Jehovah's Witness and and I began to witness to to them and they said, well, listen, uh, we don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I said, ma'am, if I could show you in the Bible that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, would you believe it? And she said, I would, but you can't do that. I said, okay. I said, turn your Bible, if you would, to 1 John 5, 20. So she turned into her New World Translation. I turned to my Bible, and and she read this verse, and it was different. But then I got to verse 20, and I turned my Bible around to her, and I said, okay. Now, this says that Jesus Christ, what does it say there, that last phrase? She said, this is the true God and eternal life. Boy, when when she said it, she looked at me like she'd been shot. I said, "Ma'am, the Bible plainly declares that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Well, then she said, well, that's not what mine says. And so we kind of lost the conversation after that. But the point I'm trying to make is this. The Bible is so clear that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. That when that virgin conceived and brought a son into this world, that that was Emmanuel, God with us. That when he went to Calvary and shed his blood, when he went to the cross and died, the blood that coursed down that cross was God's blood. All right, because he's the true God. Now go back to Titus if you would. Titus chapter two. <laughs> Some of y'all are running ahead of me, but that's all right. Titus two thirteen looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So one and the same, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at the next phrase, though. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Now, here's why what I just showed you is so important. What I just showed you is so important. It's kind of like connecting the dots, and you you connect all the dots, and there's a picture that's there. Well, the dots are this that God, God sent His Son Jesus Christ, who was God, manifesting the flesh to this earth, and when he came to this earth, he lived for thirty three years a perfect sinless life, never committed one sin, never took God's name in vain, never lied, never committed adultery. And then at age 33, men took him and nailed him to a cross. And the Bible says that with his stripes that we were healed, that he was wounded for our transgressions. In other words, all those wounds were there because of our sin, what we had done, those wounds in his hands, because you and I put our hands where we don 't need to put them, those wounds in his feet, because we 've been places that we didn 't need to go, that those 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 crowns that were beaten down into his head because of the thoughts and the filth that has gone into my mind, and the Bible says he was wounded for our transgression, but the blood that poured out of his body that wasn 't man 's blood, that was god 's blood, and the Bible says that the blood. Of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So then you take a long list. All the things that I had committed in my life, whatever they were, the number of times taking God's name in vain, stealing, cheating, disobeying my parents, all those things, adultery. You just keep adding to the list, anger, all that list, Jesus Christ's blood, Because it was the blood of God, not the blood of man. Look at it now. Look at it, verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem. That's paying for something. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. Hey, that is why a church can't pay for your sins. That's why a religion can't pay for your sins. That's why a priest or a pope or a pastor, or an imam, or anything else. None of those folks can take and pay for your sin because they don't have God's blood in them. There's only one that had that, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at it again. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. All of it. You know, there are things that men get pardoned for down here that really they're not they're not that big of a deal. How many of you have had a policeman give you a warning ticket instead of an actual ticket? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> People raising it like this. Well, that's a pardon. What you got, you got pardoned right there. You should have gotten justice and you should have gotten a penalty given to you you'd have to pay. But the officer said, well, okay, I'm going to let you go. Then there are other people that commit crimes on a larger scale. And they spend time in prison. And after spending all that time in prison, they're let go, but they still, they've got that record that's there. Got that record that's there. And then there are people that go to prison and they put them in solitary confinement or they put them in a particular section of a a maximum security prison and they tell them, you've got a life sentence you're never getting out because of the crime you committed. A presidential pardon can allow that person to go free, though it's not done very often on any level in any time in history in this country. So that you and I we have all these things that maybe are small to you, maybe lies you told, maybe maybe times you 've taken god 's name in vain, the number of times you 've been drunk, the number of times you you know you use some kind of profanity, these are all small things, but then there may be larger things being unfaithful to your spouse, taking something from someone that could never be given back <laughs> but then. There are things that maybe you wouldn't want anybody to ever know. There are things that are part of your record that has your name at the top that maybe the people that live next door to you, they have no idea. Maybe the person you're married to has no idea. Your children, the people you go to church with, the people you work with, It's written down, and it belongs to you, but it's just unknown. i got good news for you. The Bible says he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. I've had people tell me, preacher, if I come to that church, it'll fall down on top of me. You just don't know how wicked I've been. You know what they don't understand? You just don't understand how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is. You don't understand how wide the God of grace is and how deep it is. You don't understand the mercy that God has. God God didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners, folks that were guilty. And hey, I was guilty and I got in and they're all gone now. You understand? They're all gone now. Not because I'm a Baptist, not because I'm a preacher. My sins aren't gone because I'm pastoring a church. They're gone because Jesus Christ, the great God and our Savior gave himself for us. Do you know that means you? That means you. If you're here this morning, Jesus Christ let them spit in his face for you. He let them beat his back for you. That blood that ran down his hands, he did that for you. You know why he did it for you? He did that so he might be able to purge all your iniquity. You say, well, what have I got to to do to to accept that deal? Well, there's a guy that asked that question in Acts chapter 16. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know what he heard? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's a personal act of faith. It's accepting something personally. Five-year-old boy, I accepted that. And I can tell you right now, I've been redeemed from all my iniquity. The payment's been made. The great God and our Savior gave himself. He did that for you. So that's why we sing the way we sang at the beginning of service this morning. We sing because of what he did for us. We sing because nobody's ever loved us like he loved us. We sing that way because nobody's ever forgiven us like that of what he's, listen, he forgave everything and he did it in one act. And if you're here this morning, you're not saved. Listen, if you're not saved, if you've never personally taken that payment, I would love to take a Bible or have someone take a Bible and show you how you could leave today with all your iniquity taken care of. All of it. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please. The organ's going to play, the piano's going to play, and. There's no religion that can do for you what you just read in the Bible because there's no religion that's God. There's no pastor that's God, no no priest. There's no program. There's no 12 steps that you can go through confirmation to get to some place to where you can finally have all your iniquity, all that sin paid for. But Jesus, because he was God in the flesh, the great God, our Savior, he can do for you something nobody else can do. And he wants to today. So I wonder, with every head bowed, just a moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not looking, nobody else looking around, don't anybody looking just before God, before God this morning. If you know He has taken care of all the sins of your past, and your present, He's He paid for it. And if you know you're saved, would you just lift your hand up to heaven and say, God, I, I know you paid my penalty, and I'm so thankful you have. Would you just take and hold up high? Nobody looking around. Nobody looking. Nobody. Thank you. You can put, put them down. If you couldn't raise your hand, why don't you get that taken care of today? Right now. Right now. I showed you who Jesus was. I told you what he did on that cross he did for you. Why don't you just take care of that right now? Would there be anybody that would step out and say, I, I, want, I want to be saved today? Anybody? Maybe you're listening by the way of the radio. You'd get down beside that radio and say, God, I want to be saved right now. Would there be anybody that would just do that? Anybody step this way? You don't have to be in a church to be saved. You can be saved on the way home. You can be saved in your car, but it's a personal choice. You saying, I'm going to accept the great God's payment for my sin. He'll be your Savior. Let's have one verse of that, Brother Stevens. One verse of Calvary covers it all. Can we do that?
1: For dearer than all that the world can impart was the message that came to my heart. Now that Jesus alone for my sins did atone, Amen. and Calvary covers it all.
0: We have a great God. All right. So, Allison, is your sister here with you? Where are you? Come on, Hannah. And uh, Bryce, are you going to come as well? We've got a few folks we need, to, uh, we need to get in front of you today, this morning. And I think one, if y'all just want to come right down front, these are three of our Bible college students. And they, uh, they said, We want to come, we want to be part of the church. And especially to be able to be working those things. So I'm just going to hand that to you. No, I'm not going to have to do that. So this is, this is Hannah Matthews and then her sister Allison. And uh, they both want to come by letter from the Harvest Baptist Church in Manhattan, Kansas. So all in favor, take them into our number until that letter gets here. Raise your hand. All right. And then Bryce, what do you have? And then Bryce, Bryce... This is Bryce Rudd, and Bryce wants to come by statement this morning. So, why don't you scoot over here just a little bit. That way we can get you on camera. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bryce, have you been born again? Yes, sir. When did you get saved? I was five years old Got VBS. Five years old at VBS. Amen. I was five years old, too, not at VBS. You've been scripturally baptized. Yes, sir, I have. Where did you get baptized?
1: Faith Baptist Church in Fort Pierce, Florida. So,
0: in, in, you got baptized in a baptistry. Watch this. How many of y'all got baptized in a river or creek? Would you raise your hand? Look at that. How many of you got baptized in a baptistry? Amen. I wouldn't say how many of you hadn't been baptized, but if you save, you need to get that way, right? (laughs) All right. So, all in favor then of taking Brother Bryce Rudd in as a member of Tabernacle Baptist Church on his statement of faith about raising your right hand? All right. So, we got new family members down here, don't we? New family members. So here's what I want you to do, girls. We'll let the girls be first, so y'all get on this end down here, and then Bryce, if you'll come right here, all right, and if you would just come by and just shake hands with them, let them know you're glad that, that they came. i got one little thing I need to do, and um, and then I think we can just go ahead and be dismissed, but I'm not going to ask her to say anything, but I, I would, Ms. Melissa, why don't you, Danielle, just step up this way just a minute? If you just turn around and face them, this, Melissa works with Brother Dan Eshelman, she's She's been coming now for quite some time, and um, not too long ago, we let you know about her daughter Danielle, 25 years of age, and diagnosed with cancer. And then we started praying for Danielle. And, and I tell you what, can you just be the Melissa or Danielle? Can you just give a report about where that cancer is right now?
1: It's it's gone. They got it all out. Hey. Hey.
0: I appreciate a God that answers prayer. But even more than that, you know, I got a 24-year-old son. That would be really hard. Be really hard. But it's a blessing to know there's a God in heaven that can do what's really hard. And, Daniel, I just want you to know we got a bunch of people praying for you. Put it out there, Melissa. And Melissa said she wants to be part of the church as well. She didn't have a car today. And so um, I'm just going to ask Melissa, have you been born again? When did you, when did you get saved? I was seven at Groveland Baptist Church. Seven at Gro- 7 at Grovewood. Groveland Baptist. Church Groveland. And, and okay, yes, and sir. have I you was been
1: baptized there as well?
0: Baptized with. Well. So, all in favor of taking Melissa in as a member of Tabernacle Baptist Church on her statement, raise your hand. How about that? Dawn voted for her mama. <laughs> Danielle, I'm sorry. That's right. So, if you don't mind, how about y'all just join right over here as well? And if, if 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 you prayed for Danielle, y'all just come stand right here. If you prayed for Danielle, come by and let her know. Hey glad that God answered prayer. And uh, Dan, I'm glad that you, glad you had some people come from from work and we've got to see God do some great things. So. Actually,
1: that's from the testimony of Tanya. She invited Melissa. Come here, Tanya.
0: Come here, Tanya. Here, just hold that. I remember going and visiting Tanya and Robin first time and boy, things were just kind of you know, a Amen. little bit difficult. Tanya, can you tell them, were you raised in, you have to hold it up here. Were you raised in church? No. Not raised in church. Did you get born again, though?
1: I did in February. Amen. Hey. A year
0: ago. Got saved in February. A year ago. And so I guess then, Melissa, I guess she started talking to you. Yes, sir. Did you see a difference in Tanya? Yes. So she saw a difference in Tanya at work. So she said she'd come show up. Amen. And now her daughter Danielle, bunch of folks pray for her. She got, she got healed of cancer. Does that sound like God to y'all? Amen. Good night. I'm getting chills, man. Amen. I appreciate the goodness of God. Yes, sir. All right, Lord, we thank you today for your goodness to us, and and um, hearts just overflowing. Lord, thinking about how one person's voice can impact another person's eternity. And uh, we sure do appreciate the way you work, Lord. You are a great God, Lord, the great God, and and we thank you not for just being a great God, but being our Savior, changing our life when nothing else could. And uh, we pray you'd help these young people that have, want to be part of the church, and as they're in the college, we pray you'd help Danielle in this battle with cancer to continue going a good direction, and Melissa, Lord, we pray you'd help us to be a good church to her and. And, uh, God, we just give you the thanks for your goodness to us today. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Please come by and shake these folks' hand. Would you do that?